perfect. Well, it we're said rolling. we were going before, and it still didn't work. Yeah, but like so far, so good. I think we're maybe. I don't um, know. We'll find out. Yes. So, how are you doing? I'm just ducky. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Glad to hear it. Things are, I think, maybe moving. We'll see. Good. Um, we might have sold this show. Nice. So, That'd yeah. be awesome. That'd be very nice. I know. Then um, they'll be like, wow, this is what this was. This is why you were late. You're just like teeing me up for when it's all the show and, you know, no longer the podcast. It'll always be the podcast. I'll Come be now. sitting here waiting. Ringo I'm... and I will be sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> His little tag jingling. I know. Crazy pant people just wanting to have a conversation with us. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. It's just me. I know. Which would be really lame, but (laughs) it's okay. This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Where are you right now? And how's the weather? I'm in New York in a storm. Okay. Is it raining men or is it just what i have to ask no it's not (laughs) if that was the case and everybody would be uh uh hurt (laughs) it is is really storming back here to go back to the beginning when did you start singing oh lord i started singing i was about three years old um yeah uh i was singing in the back seat of my godmother's car we were just driving, and, and I'm in the back seat just playing and singing, and uh, she told my mother. And uh, my uh, mother, who loved to sing anyway, I think she had wanted to be a singer in in her earlier life, but uh, things happened, and uh, she never did. Although she did sing in the church choir, she's the one that really encouraged me to sing. And uh, that's really how I started singing, um, gospel music because that was the only music that was allowed in my house so um we would be in the house on you know saturday cleaning the house and have the music on and singing so that's how it really kind of started how did it evolve into being your lifelong career well i wasn't i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do i had thought about it one time being a um, elementary school teacher like a kindergarten teacher. And as I, as the year kind of moved on, I was, you know, coming out of teenagers and going into young adulthood. And I thought to myself, no, probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> teachers, I have to say, you know, they deserve combat pay <laughs> for the most part. Yes, they do. <laughs> and yeah, they they really do. They don't get paid enough. You know, I I respect teachers. Uh, you you have some bad apples, and there's some you know at times. But for the most part, teachers love to do what they do, and they want to see young minds expand and grow and things like that. And I said, no, that's probably not for me. But in the meantime, I was still continuing, you know, to sing. And uh, when I started singing with Sylvester professionally. I just kind of focused on just doing that to see where that was going to go. And all these years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Amazing. 
When the, and you, I know you said that you listen primarily to gospel music in the house, but you've always loved all different genres of music. How was that transition? Was there any sort of going back to your parents going, well, I'm pursuing music, but I'm going into some different kinds? Yeah, yeah they, they, they were not happy. Yeah. They were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> really, especially my mother. I think my father, he didn't trip too much. My mother was the one. She wanted me to continue to sing gospel music. And I told her, I said, look, I said, I have gospel music right. as my foundation. I'm right. just going into a, you know, a different genre of music. But I would always, you know, still continue to sing gospel sure. music wherever I could. And she, she eventually, got, you know, she eventually got over it, and they became, they became fans of um, of me singing with Sylvester, and would come to some of the shows when they could, you know. So they understood. They understood. That seems like a hard right turn. <laughs> well, they got they got over well, it. Well, how could yeah. you not? I mean, all the incredible things you've done and the incredible music you've created it would be very hard to say God's not there in that, whatever you're doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been an interesting career. A lot of, a lot of music I have forgotten that I have recorded actually until I hear it somewhere. And I, <laughs> oh my God, I did record that. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> but really that kind of thing, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of amazing when I look back on a lot of the music and stuff that I did, um, singing with uh, Isaura Armstead and singing with Sylvester and then doing studio, uh, studio like that and then doing the solo stuff. Yeah, it's been quite a bit. still recording today. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm still working on the new, not a new, but the next album hopefully will be out by before the year is up. Um, yeah, I've been working in the studio and almost, almost finished, almost finished. Just a few things I need to, um, uh, to clean up and then, uh, start mixing and mastering. Is there a, a style to it? Cause when you listen to the records you've done in the past from Sylvester and the weather girls to even something good, which came out a couple years ago, it's such a wide array of styles. It's almost become sort of the... It's it's a bit of of a cliche, but like sort of you taking a song and trying to make it your own thing. Well, yeah, um, I never. I, I've always said this in interviews that I never wanted to be pigeonholed into one specific genre of music. Uh, I like all different kinds of music, and I, even though I had the gospel music as a foundation uh, of the music that I listened to growing up. On TV, I would watch movies that had uh, big band music, mm-hmm. and I liked I liked the big band sound. Glenn uh, Miller, uh, uh, Tommy Dorsey, Duke Ellington. I liked that type of music as well. Then, when I became a teenager, I was listening to Motown music under my pillow with the transistor radio, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. I've always liked different kinds of music. And I, even though when I started with Sylvester, we were doing top 40 songs at the time that progressed into disco music and then past that, 
so I've always wanted to be able to sing any kind of music that I wanted to. And with the Something the Something Good album that came out, that was more pop rock. Mm-hmm. This album, uh, which I decided to call Love and Conflict, um, is more a little blues, well, I call it the gumbo. Uh, a little blues, a little R&B, a little 60s kind of psychedelic music feel to it. And just me, you know, laying my vocals on top of it. So that's why I call it, call it uh, a gumbo, heap of sorts. Mm, yeah. So to go back to one of your biggest hits, what did you first think when you heard It's Raining Men? Because it had a pretty checkered past to that point. Cher had turned it down. Barbara Streisand had turned it down. Donna Summer. Did you feel like you were kind of... I don't know. What, what what were your thoughts when you first heard it, knowing it had this history of not people not responding to it? Well, well Paul Jabara, bless his heart, he said... Uh, he said we he invited us over to his house for lunch under <laughs> the guise of just having lunch. <laughs> but he played us the song and he said, I want you to record this song. And I looked at Azora and she looked at me and I said, You gotta be kidding. He said, No, I really want you to record this song. And I said, Paul, um, I'm not sure anybody's going to buy this song. You know, people are going to buy it. He said, no, I really, really need you to record this song. And then he went on to tell us again who had uh, turned down the song. And when you think about it in hindsight, can you really, really imagine that? (laughs) And definitely not how you sing it. (laughs) (laughs) Try and get a visual of that, you know, all by itself. So, uh, so he said, no, he said, he, he literally begged us to, rec- he said, this song is going to be a hit. He said it. And I think it was maybe two days later, uh, we went in the studio and recorded the song in roughly 90 minutes and walked out of the studio and said, okay, Paul, we'll see you later. You know, we had left, we had other shows to do. You know, we were back on the road, that whole thing. And it became a huge hit in the clubs long before radio even picked up on the song. And it became funny because a lot of people that heard the song said that there was a new group out called the Weather Girls. And other people who knew us as Two Times the Fun said, no. That's Martha and Isaiah. That is Tom's son. So that became, I I want to say, kind of a selling point, but a controversial thing in the meantime, trying to figure out who was actually sure. singing this song, you know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, you know, it kind mm-hmm. of progressed from there, where we decided to change our names from Two Tons of Fun to The Weather Girls, changed record labels and moved from the West Coast to the East Coast and started a whole new chapter as the Weather Girls. What did that feel like? I mean, that song is, it's beyond iconic. I mean, it is, it's legendary. How did that feel when it just 
took on a life of its own. And all of a sudden, as you said, you're changing your name, moving across country, switching record labels. I mean, it had to just avalanche. Well, yeah, we I think we were really, really surprised by it. Paul, not so much, because he said it was going to be a hit. Right, right. And um, he would he would take the he would take the twelve uh, inch acetate around to different clubs and ask the DJs to play the song, and that's how a lot of people really started picking up on the song itself. Sure. Sure. Um, it, it was just great, you know. It was surprising, but it was wow. You know, this is this is really really big, and we said, "Hey, okay, if this if this is what it takes to, you know, kind of move our careers forward, then hey, let's go for it." You know, and that's what we did. And then, on top of being a sing- singing success and having this great career, you've also changed the business after being screwed over twice by two different music producers. Do you remember the first time you were you heard "Gonna Make You Sweat"? I was surprised. I think I was more surprised at the video. I think I was more surprised at at, at the video, really, as opposed to the song itself. I mean, the video is really, really what started the whole madness, you know, during that time. Um, It's just been, oh, God, it's been, good grief, almost 30 years. Um, if anybody can believe that but yeah Um, I had always felt uh, in later years that possibly the group uh, Cincy Music Factory were kind of put in a bag where they were caught with their pants down in that when they released gonna make you sweat it took off so quickly sure i don't think they had i don't think they had the rest of the album finished Mm. so this is all in in my my mind Mm. and i could be wrong but i thought naturally you're going to ride the wave of the first single off of the album and it became such a huge hit so they were scrambling around trying to get everything else the rest of the album finished and Gonna make you switch on a life of its own as well. So they had naturally they had to get a, a video put out there as, you know, as quickly as possible. And they I'm in my mind they used Zelma, which she was part of the group, you know. Mm-hmm. And they said, Well look, we, we you know, we've got to get all this stuff done, mm-hmm. we've got to get it out, we've got to keep that momentum going for that single. And so they decided to use Zelma to do the, the lip-sync vocals for uh, the song. Yeah, but you eventually ended up, as time went by, you uh, sort of made peace with, with both of them. Yeah, absolutely. We went on, after that whole thing, after the dust settled with everything, I went on to record uh, another song on their follow-up album. Right. Well, I have to tell you, my, when I was, I was the prime demographic for Gonna Make You Sweat, and my friends and I, loved that song. I mean, it was on constant rotation. We had single, we had CD, we had everything. And then as soon as we found out it was you, we completely boycotted CNC Music Factory because we were massive 
Weather Girls fans from when we were little. We loved it. And so then when we found out that you came back and recorded with them again, then we were okay with them again. But we, as teenage girls in Detroit, Michigan, took a very big stand. And today I was texting my best friend from high school and telling her how excited I was we were going to get to speak to you. And she said, you better tell her how much we support her and we hate how she got screwed over. We're a huge fan. So that is my message to you from Rachel. <laughs> well, well, please, please, please let Rachel know. Thank you very much for her support all of these years. I will for sure. She's a listener, so she will hear it from your from your mouth. So, hi, so <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> that will make her day for yes, sure. Sure, that's what made the difference. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny how how life works out. You 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 don't know who you know what's going to be happening in the next look the next day or so of your life and things can kind of turn on a dime um with your life and you have to go through experiences and stuff you know it it was hard for me at that time dealing with all of that because of the press and i'm kind of um i've always just been the girl in the studio or the girl on uh you know on the album doing the work, that kind of stuff. And kind of, in a way, you know, keeping my head down and just doing what I do. So when this whole thing erupted, it was really strange, but I kind of had to steal my nerves, you know, and kind of go through it and, you know, and learn. So it's it's those experiences in life that kind of um, make you who you are as you progress in this life and as, you know, as being a human being and going through things, you know, you have to do the, you have to have the the down as well as the up, you know? So, Hey, I made it through. I'm, uh, I'm stronger for it. I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, you know, thank God for the wisdom that I have, the little bit of wisdom that I have, you know? Definitely, because I saw Rolling Stone called you the most famous unknown singer of the '90s, which I mean, Lisa calling got to be damning with faint praise. Yeah, um, look, I, <laughs> I mean, at least they're calling and you something. Kind of I guess me to this day, in a way, you know, mm-hmm. I remember um, was it uh, in the '90s? I don't, don't know if you remember it was on MTV mm-hmm. One Hit Wonders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You remember that show? And uh, we were. We were on there. I was on there um, for it's raining men. I remember and that. And I'm saying to myself, "Well, yeah, that's true." But honey, I have done a whole lot of more things since then. Yeah, that is bad research on their part. <laughs> that, that's really bad research. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can you say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, your career beyond you know the the music itself and your yeah. incredible voice. You've also become so iconic in so many other ways as well. I mean, obviously, with what you did with the Weather Girls and Two Tons of Fun really was way ahead of its time as far as body positivity and being sexy at any size and all of those things, as well as the your role in the um, LGBTQ community as well. It's, I mean, you're, you've, you've done all sorts of things beyond just being a performer. It's funny because uh, when Two Times of Sun first came out, uh, we were considered a novelty act. 
you know, it was like, okay, well, they can sing, but now how are we going to market them, you know, in the business, that kind of thing. So while we had our, we had the fans, um, we, and we did do TV shows, um, not so much over, over in the States per se, but more, I would say more so in Europe, doing TV shows over there. But at that time, it was like, you did not see large women in front of you on TV, not really doing well, disco music at the time, you know. You really didn't right. see that. Right. So we were, I guess you could say, we were kind of like trailblazers because yeah. even though we were considered novelty acts, well, yeah, we could still sing. Yeah. You know, we could still mm-hmm. get an audience and had uh, fans and everything. And as the, the, the years went on, I had to kind of stop and think about it myself because at that time, again, you didn't mm-hmm. see large women that were out in the front right. or even really doing background that much. Yep, of course. Uh, visually, mm-hmm. right. visually. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember the mamas and the papas. Mama right. Cass. Mama Cass was like, you know, the largest woman that you saw that was out there in the front in a right. group doing uh, doing their thing, you know. So when we came along, it was like, okay, yeah, they're, you know, they're good uh, vocally, but again, you know, how do we market them? How do we get the the audience to buy what they're selling visually? You know, all these decades later, now you see the big girls out there. I was just, I was watching Lizzo uh, the other night uh, at the uh, MTV MTV and movie awards and stuff. And she was just, hey, she was doing her thing. Mm-hmm. She was awesome. really doing her thing. And, and, and the audience, the audience just loves her. And I think it's great. You know, we, we have to be represented as well as everybody else, you know. One of the questions that we always wrap up these interviews with is, well, what are you up to now? And you are insanely busy. So I feel like it might be easier to ask what you're not up to. <laughs> you have a magazine. You have a TV show. 10 minutes with Martha Wash. Did 15 minutes feel indulgent? Sometimes it leads into 20 minutes and 30 minutes, depending <laughs> on who I'm, depending on who I'm interviewing. I've had extended editions on some of the people, but yeah, I thought, I, I thought I would be kind of slowing down a little bit, but I'm more busier than ever. Uh, yeah, the 10 minutes with Martha Wash is something that, uh, my manager thought of, uh, uh, you know, the, you have to keep re- reinventing yourself in this business and, and, and going different avenues and, and keeping yourself out there and, and so people know what's going on with you. And so that's been fun. That's been fun. Um, yeah, we've got, uh, it's an internet show uh, as well as a cable show. And you can find it on YouTube. And also on the cable side, uh, we've been shown in New York and in the D.C. areas on uh, Comcast and Files and uh, RCN uh, TV networks and things like that. So that's been fun. The magazine, FLOD Spotlight Magazine, that's been fun as well, interviewing people who sometimes don't get the... um, 
the publicity or sometimes you, it's people that you say, well, where is this person? Where, what are they doing? You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't hear from them much. Mm-hmm. So we kind of interview those types of people to let them know that, yeah, you may not hear from them, but here they are. This is what they're doing. So that's been fun. Nice. Um, Very cool. You know, plus the record label. Oh, my God. Purple Rose Records. Um, <laughs> and dealing with First Ladies of Disco, the group. That's what I was going to ask about next. Yes. Yeah, which is myself and Lou Clifford and uh, Norma Jean Wright, formerly of Chic. Yeah. Uh, we just released us. Yeah, we just released our second single, Don't Stop Me Now. It's um, it's in the top 15 on Billboard chart, and uh, we had success with the the previous single, um, Show Some Love, that hit the charts and was, it was in the top 10. Amazing. So, plus trying to finish up this album, so Purple Rose Records is busy <laughs> as well. Yeah. And I am... <laughs> So do you ever get down? Do you ever feel like, hey, everybody just stop dancing now? <laughs> well, um, no. You seem to be positive and upbeat and... Uh, you know, you get, I, I don't want to say you get down, but there are slow periods in this mm-hmm. career that people, you know, people need to realize uh, everything is not 100 all the time. And being in this business... It's not. It's not necessarily just in the music business, but in in acting and theater and all this other kind of stuff. You're going to have those down times where the work is not coming in, and that's. I think that's why more so people are going into other avenues of of trying to maintain themselves and still, you know, be able to pay the bills and 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 that kind of stuff too, because. What you're focused on doesn't always happen for you all the time. So in the meantime, you got to figure out something else to do and have other, say, streams of revenue coming in until you can, you know, do what you want to do. Uh, right. It's true about, you know, it's true about faking until you make it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it is it's fakery and trick and, and smoke and mirrors. And, I mean, you know, that's what this business is. It's smoke and mirrors. <laughs> You know, you're you're paid to make it look at to make it look fabulous and fantastic and ooh, I wanna be in this business. Well, you better make sure you really do want to be in this business. <laughs> <laughs> because it's more you know, it's more than a notion and and more than what you just see in front of you as you're cheering your favorite artist on stage. You know, it takes a lot. And if you can stand if you can stand it, you'll be okay. Just know that it's not always going to be the greatest. But if you can hang in there and you believe in what you do and realize that everybody's not going to like what you do and everybody's not going to be a fan of what you do, then you'll be able to maintain nonetheless. I always tell people that. Don't look for the the high end. Look for the low end first and realize and deal with the low end first and be able to accept the low end first until you start really, really growing and appreciate that low end. So when the the big stuff starts coming in, you can really, really appreciate it. 
For more information on Martha, to find out tour dates, to get copies of all of her records, and to watch 10 Minutes with Martha Wash, check out MarthaWash.com. For more Y content, including behind the scenes, additional photos and video, as well as outtakes, visit whythepodcast.com. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other folks find us and join our cult. The more cult members you bring in, the better your seat will be on the mothership. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on social, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist, our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?